Some women impersonate Sex in the City's Carrie Bradshaw with vast closets full of fantastic clothing. Even Sarah Jessica Parker pretends to be Carrie Bradshaw when she walks the red carpet. However, there is one woman in New York City who, if he knew her, would have been Darren Starr's real muse. Let me introduce you to Susan S. Warner, the adorable petite blonde who at 59 lost her handsome, extraordinary husband to cancer six months after her wonderful 32-year-old son died by suicide. It's now four years later. After the most challenging days and nights, Susan decided to live her best life possible. And just like that, Susan was suddenly single. Carrie may have Susan beat on exposure, but Susan has Carrie beat on life's experiences. Listen in. Susan Warner is living a fulfilled life through growth and circumstance. She just became the grandmother to a precious little girl who I know will be the source of much joy ahead. She also just completed her first nonfiction book, Never Say Never, Never Say Always, about rediscovering herself after the devastating loss of both her son and then her husband six years ago. The campaign to promote the book is going to be entirely new adventure for her. One would think that Susan is now joyful all the time, now that her life is complete. Susan explains what truths actually appear regarding happiness, sadness, and life in general. Her adult life has changed so much, and she is determined to live in the here and now while being very introspective. Let's find out what all that means and compare our philosophies of life to that. Susan, exactly how happy are you? Well, that's an existential question and very open-ended. I guess philosophically, I could ask you how happy are any of us or what is happiness, but you're asking me specifically how happy I am. I'm very happy. I wake up every day happy for the most part. I jump out of bed looking forward to the new day, the new adventure. Um, I think I have a good perspective on what makes me happy, what makes me sad, what bothers me, and the things I get caught up in, I've, I've grown to not get caught up in minutia anymore. I try to anyway. As life goes, I'm very happy. And that was a journey and is a journey from being happy prior to the death I experienced to experience profound loss and sadness and then growing on the happy scale for over the last almost six years. Okay. How does your happiness differ from your life prior to your losses? Um, I had a, my life prior to David and Michael's death was pretty extraordinary. Um, I'm, as, as you'll all read, I met my husband in my early 20s. I was married, had an extraordinary marriage, a, a very charmed life, had our difficulties with David, um, but there was so much love and so much care surrounding the family, the nuclear family, and then the greater family, that I was in a very happy place. Life every day was really, really good. Um, is my happiness now different? Well, I'm more introspective now, as you mentioned in the opening. I depend on myself for a lot more of my happiness. Um, a lot of my independence and my growth over the last 
six years has been learning to close the door and be really happy with the person that I'm that's keeping company with me, which is me. It's a little bit non-traditional. I think it's a little bit more modern. I need to know that when the chips are down, I can depend on me and I can be happy with me. And as I've said, um, a lot of this was through my daughter and through therapy and, and really through digging deep and understanding me and what I like about me and what I need to grow or, or evolve in me. I, I've come to the conclusion people don't change, they grow or evolve. And I like to put myself in that grow, evolve category. So my happiness is more internally generated than gathering it from the people externally, if that makes sense. I look for within for my happiness. Tell me more about how your daughter helped you reach this uh, change. Okay. Um, Elizabeth and I are very close. Um, we've been through a lot together. We were close before any of the tragedy happened. Um, in my journey, sometimes she was the slap my face and said, you know, like, get it together. Or when I would try therapy and I keep dropping therapists because they'd all say you're fine because I could fool people. She'd say, that's not what it takes. You need to stay in it. You need to do it for months and find out, dig deeper and, and get to where you need to get to. She, as I tell in the book, was the person who put me on the dating apps. So Elizabeth has been instrumental. She once said to me, and I've written about this, Mom, you need to know if you can be happy, if you know what happiness is, because you don't seem happy to me. And that was stinging. I mean, I always thought of myself as a, a person, positive person. And I thought, maybe I can't. Maybe I need to find that. And I think that was the catalyst that statement when she made it to me and it stung so hard and it I took my breath away that I actually said, you've got to go find this within yourself, not around you, not possessions, not, not other people, not situations. You need to dig deep and find happiness inside Susan. And that, because once you find that, no one can take it away from you. You own it. You hold on to it. It's yours to have. And that's been really crucial in what I think has been my evolution. However, you were happy before yes. Your, yes. your husband died, yes. so you knew that you could be happy. I knew I could be happy, but I think I gained more happiness from externally than internally. I don't think I was completely self-realized. I don't know that I was as self-aware. I was happy because I had a man who loved me, who I loved back. We had a wonderful relationship. I had children who loved me that I loved back. Good friends, good family. We traveled. I had things. I had acquisitions. I had a summer house. I had an apartment in the city. I had a loving dog. I had things that reacted and acted to me that made me happy, more external. In this journey, I've reached inside Susan to find the things inside me that make me happy. I'm so glad. So happiness is different. I'm so glad you said all that because, um, you know, people need to learn that. And, and too many people don't spend time doing that so thank you elizabeth and i hope everyone <laughs> yes yeah. no i'm being but, serious and and everyone who's listening you know it's a lesson to be learned i love to call but it, i do want to qualify that there's still you know the the external forces of of 
my daughter and my son-in-law and my granddaughter and, and Arthur in my relationship and my friends and my family still provide me with the external sources of happiness. Of it's course. not that they went away. It's just I had I dug deeper to maybe because um, in, in part there's some fear because I, I have a fear of losing yet again that's very real. And I know that if I can depend on me and I can form this rock inside of me that stabilizes me, that no matter what I endure, I can hold on and I can be okay. So part of it might be a reaction to my own fears, rational or irrational, about losing again, that makes me know that if I can depend on me, then I'm going to be okay. But there so, still are external forces that make me very happy. Right. I un- we understand that. However, <laughs> I want the audience to understand also that you also had a major loss before Michael and David, and that must have impacted your life as well. It has. So I lost my mother at 18, and um, it was much more impactful. I've realized it's more impactful now than I did when I was in it. It has definitely formed who I am, why I cherish independence so much. On my own since I was 18, my dad was so in love with her and so devastated by her death that we had a bit of a role reversal in um, parenting and, and child. And it definitely set the path for this independence of relying on myself. And as I have discovered through talking to my therapist, has had a major impact on who I am. So yes, I have experienced the loss as an adolescent and then as an adult of a spouse, of a child, the, the loss of a child, the loss that no one should ever experience. You know, the rest are kind of life cycle. Children lose parents. Adults lose spouses. No parent should lose a child. Right. So I, I think that this is all layered to try to create this core inside of me that will allow me to survive. It's a survival tactic, I think. So then what troubles you the most? Um, fear of health issues and, and people around me not being well. I think that's probably my number one fear and what troubles me the most. I can't control that, of course, but um, I want to live. I've always wanted to live. I, 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 good care of myself. You know, I'm pretty diligent, although I don't like the process. Don't love going to doctors, but I'm pretty diligent. And that I want, I want to keep everybody safe around me. And that's unrealistic and sometimes scares me. So I'm most troubled by loss again. I think that it's a, something that nags at me. It doesn't dominate my thoughts, but it is a nag, like a toothache or a backache that does exist in the back of my psyche a lot. And I wish I could make it go away a little bit. Temper it, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you it's mentioned probably it. Probably. I was going to ask you how often do you think about this? It nags. It's not. It's not every day. It's not all day. It doesn't. It doesn't invade my thoughts all the time. But I do. I do worry. I do worry. And well, I wish I didn't. That sounds normal I, to I, me. So. <laughs> I'd like to learn to better control that emotion. I would. I'd like to learn to better handle it. And and I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel so different from most other women your age? I stated before that I've always classified myself, classified myself as a young widow. 
I don't have anybody in my orbit who is widowed, a woman who is widowed at my age. So I kind of feel like a unicorn in this. And I'm happy for that in that I don't want anybody else to be. I don't wish this on anybody. Um, other people I know who are widowed have widow friends and widower friends. And, and they can commiserate and they talk about it and they don't feel quite so unicorn. I do feel it. The one place that, and that is not a positive or a negative, it just is. I do, I do say that when and if this happens to someone else, which it eventually will, I know how I will treat them. I have a very, I have a, a set of, they're not rules, but ideas in how I will be responsive to them to make their life better and easier and um, more responsive. Because, you know, when you've been through something, you probably can better mm-hmm. help people who have also been through it. But the one place that, and I just said this last night to Arthur, that with all of this grief and, and, and catastrophe, there is the silver lining of choices that you come to a place in your life where normally you are even keeled and life is rolling along and it's pleasant and it's wonderful to a different kind of excitement new people, new adventures, um, looking at your bucket list and saying, I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And not being held back by just convention and norm and, and life just happening. So there, I feel different because I've been given the opportunity to explore new things and find a, a better version of me and, and do things because I'm sort of just responsible to me. And that's exciting. That has been a silver lining to, you know, breaking out and being a better version of me. And and I've been asked this, and I've talked about this recently to friends, et cetera. Everyone says, well, do you think Michael would be happy? I think Michael would be, is ecstatic with this new version of me. I think he would be very happy with my self-actualization and my self-growth because he always promoted it and always encouraged me. And I, I never quite hit the mark, I don't think while we were together and now I feel like I hit the mark and I feel that he is basking in that. So that helps too. It makes it um, even sweeter. I don't think I've ever heard those kind of words from another widow, but it's, <laughs> but it's wonderful to share with others, I must say. I'm sure there's plenty um, out there, but, but the fact that you said it out loud will give everybody else, you know, the, uh, whatever they need to reach goals that they thought. But I really feel it. I'm being genuine. I really do feel that. I, you know, feel Michael's presence. And I I just think that he and David are proud of me right now. I think, you know, it's go mom, like you do you. And and we we are happy with that. And that makes me feel good. It's wonderful. From taking care. And that that even, you know, goes as deep as like, I I really take really good care of the house, um, our beach house. And that was, um, we did that together and, and he loved it. And, and, and as I make improvements, I think, you know, I know you're going to be happy with this. Like, I know you're proud of me for doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out of my wheelhouse. I'm learning to do new things by choice. And it's, uh, it's not, it's not, I don't think it's perverse that I'm living in the past. I just think it's healthy that I can go forward thinking that he's happy with who I've turned into and what I've become. Well, you're building a found, you know, you had a strong foundation, so you're building on that. I don't think of it as mm-hmm. the past. I think of Mm-mm. it like that, you know. I don't either. Right. I don't well, either. Good for you. 
What Thank have you. you experienced in your new, your new life that is an eye-opener for others? We want you to look, we want you to tell us <laughs> what our future is. <laughs> um, I think what I've learned is finding a balance that like not one new event can bring you happiness. Not, it's, it's almost like plastic surgery that an ode to Arthur, who's a plastic surgeon. Um, you know, you get your nose fixed. It's not going to change your life. You're going to like what you see in the mirror more, but it's not going to get you more dates or it's not going to make you richer. And if you have your face done, it's not going to make you happier. You, you might look prettier. You might be you know, marginally happier, but it's not going to change your, you know, your whole attitude. So I think I've learned that a, a child getting married is wonderful, but it's going to change your life. You know, having a grandchild, glorious, but everything else still balances in that you have to take all these pieces like a recipe and mix them together to make yourself happy. So it's not about a new designer bag or a new acquisition. Any, it, maybe more, it used to be more like that. Now it's, it's taking all these pieces and, and, and stirring it up and letting it form the ball that you ingest that becomes a part of you. That makes sense. I kind of think visually, so yes, <laughs> kind of like certainly a, does. a ball. I got, that, I got that same visualization. It's a, it's a visualization, yes. And I've learned that it's not one item. If something happens, I'm going to be happy. Not really. It's going to lead to your happiness, and you're going to take that in and make it work with everything else. But single actions do not make you find happiness. You know, we you know when people are having trouble in their marriage, they have another child, and everyone thinks, oh boy, that was a mistake. Well, because they think that a single action will make things better. No single action in life will destroy you, and no single action should make life perfect. Hmm. And I think that I've learned, yeah, but I think I've learned, and what I mean about single action destroying you, of course, a devastating illness that leads to death will destroy you. I don't mean that, but enduring profound grief will hurt you, but you've got to put it in the mix and, 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 and rise like yeast. Because it will make you stronger and more insightful, hopefully, and more appreciative for the smaller things and, and try to find the silver lining, as is the marriage of a child, will enhance your life, but it's not going to make it perfect. It's not going to change something else. Mm-hmm. So it's about putting everything into the mix and coming out with a great recipe. What does this feel that like, was- Susan? to really have the ability to make life-changing choices? Empowering. It's so empowering. It's empowering to make financial choices. It's empowering to make personal choices. It's empowering to say, I need to open my mouth if I don't want something to happen. I don't have to sit there and take it. I don't have to be the good girl. And say, well, if I don't, if I, if I say something, I'll hurt someone's feelings. Well, I'm not out to hurt anybody's feelings, but I need to say what's right for me. Mm-hmm. And that's new. And it's empowering. And I like it. I like that portion of it. Well, how does that make you different, though? I think that until you're shaken up with some sort of life-changing experience, that in many people's instances, and I was definitely one of those people, that I just didn't want to make waves all the time. You know, I'll do that because it's the right thing to do. 
I'll do that because that's what's expected of me. So now I like to make those decisions based on, is it good for me? Is it healthy? And does it really matter in the scheme of things if I don't do it or I do it? I'm not, you know, I'm, if, I'm not going to change anybody else's world if I do something that's negative for me because I thought it was the right thing to do. Right. People probably really don't care. You know, I'm not that important. You know, if I don't go to a function that I think is going to be painful for me and I say, wow, the right thing is I should really go, ultimately, whoever's giving that function, I'm not going to make or break this. They might not even notice I'm not there. But if it's so destructive for me, I've learned to say, not good for me. I can't go. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And it's made me a happier me and a more empowered me. And I, I, I find that intoxicating. <laughs> Empowerment's a wonderful that, that's thing. A great, that's a great word to use. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, most of us have not had that experience because we're involved either with a partner or some someone else in our life where they're depending on us or we said we yes. were going to go. So that's the choice we made and we have to stick to it. Yes. Yes. And, and I, I mean, for the most part, I'm very reliable and dependable. I just have now realized to make choices that are best for me. Mm-hmm. And, and as I said, put aside the, I should do this because that's right. not always the correct answer. Right. Exactly. Do you feel, having said all that, do you feel like you are an outsider looking in, or do you feel fortunate to be in a position to carve out new paths? I think that question is weighted. <laughs> I, think, I think the answer should be the second half, right? Um, but I, I feel both. I, I often feel sometimes that my life is a little bit surreal, and then I'm sitting on my own shoulder. And that goes as far as laughing at myself. Mm-hmm. to um, being upset with myself. I sometimes say, how is this, how did I get into this mess? How is it possible that, you know, I lost my husband at, you know, 5960 and that my son was a suicide? Like, how in my world did that ever happen? No one ever would have predicted that in a million years. So right. that's kind of a, you know, and I, I sit outside my own body and, and say that, yes. And as we've talked about before, finding a better version of me, carving new paths, living my bucket list, doing what um, I want to do within the realms of, you know, what's acceptable has been exhilarating. So I think if I had to take either of these, I'd go on the, the second side of the question. I feel fortunate to be in a position to carve out new paths. And I hope that my path helps other women carve out, or men, carve out their path. because that exhilaration of growth and self-actualization and is to get it at this age in your 60s is really quite extraordinary and really fun and exciting. And I hope that other people who experience life-changing events can make that right turn as well because it can be great. It, It can be great. Sometimes sad, sometimes sad. Sometimes Mother's Day is approaching. It's brutal for me. Mm-hmm. The, the day is brutal. I think it will always be brutal for me. Right. You know, I, 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 it's just, just is, you know, it's one of those things I don't think I'll ever get past. Right. And I'm sad. And the approach is sad. And there are times I said, I'm good 360 days a year. Those five days that I fall apart are horrible. Right. They're just brutal. 
so I'm sad sometimes, but I try to go the half-fall route. And sometimes when I catch myself going down that dark hole of getting caught up in what I shouldn't, I've been much better at pulling myself out of there and saying, what are you doing? You know, wh why do you care? You know, I'll tell you a funny story. Everyone's talking about Ozempic and everyone's, you know, dissing everybody who's done Ozempic. And I was talking to a friend the other day who was dissing a, a movie star who did. And I said, why do we care? What difference does it make to me if that woman got thin and how she got thin? Not affecting mm -hmm. my life. If mm -hmm. I want to do it, that's my choice. But that's right. her choice. Like, why do we care? So it's those things that I'm trying to not care about anymore. I don't care if she got thin and she takes a shot of Ozempic every month. It's not going to change me. Mm -hmm. Am I jealous? I shouldn't be. If I want to do it, I do it. Right. Right. And and it's lots of things like that that go to interpersonal relationships where someone says something that bothers you or does something that bothers you. And I say to myself, stop. If she doesn't care about you, then walk away. And that's made me happier. You mean like getting rid of all of that negative energy? Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to care. I don't need to expend brain power on things that won't resolve that do, I can't control and that really don't matter. Right. I, I mean, I think the Ozempic is like the perfect example of that. Like, why do I care if a celebrity gets thin on Ozempic? Why am I dissing her? Right. This doesn't matter to me. Why does the whole world care? Do what you well, I know for myself that sometimes we do that because we think it makes us feel better that we are right. more perfect, which, which is not, I'm hoping I mean, we know, we know that. it's not true, <laughs> but it, but it, you know, it, it makes us vent, and it's wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. I but know. I'm hoping to. I try to see that, actually say it out loud, and and when I do, I feel so much better about me and it. And and as I said, in interpersonal relationships too, if someone, if my relationship is deteriorated with someone, or it's changed, or whatever it is, I'll say, okay, I can't change this. I can't effectuate it. So live with it and let it go. And it's right. just a really better way to live, much better way to live. I know once much you've done it and you do it over and over, then then that's where your the way your mind works. But yes. until you do mm -hmm. it, until you do it, it becomes like you know a very difficult thing to do. And but once you really, do it, it's so freeing. Yeah, it's really, really freeing. That's a great word, freeing. Yep. It's so freeing. Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. So is the is yep. the widow different today than who she was a decade ago? Is the widow me? And the reason I ask you that is I don't have a huge subset of widows that I can tell you about. And I know I am, but I really can't speak societally because. Well, you had, to have, have, you had to have aunts, grandparents, you know, when they were left alone, did they, you know, were they very, you know, look, you are taking this opportunity to explore life, but. Most mm -hmm. people that lose a spouse. Okay, but I think that that's generational and it's um, the sign of a, a more modern me, a, a more modern conclusion. I, as being, I still classify myself as a young widow. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you and I were speaking the other day about women who are widowed, relatively young, who don't want to date. And I, I'm understanding that some people put that piece of their life in a chapter and move on to the next chapter. And that's about them. So maybe they are enlightened. Maybe women who don't need a companion are enlightened. I like companionship. I like relationships. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can't tell you that I'm an authority on that. I, I don't have enough of a subset or a study group to tell you if widowhood is different. I think it so much depends, and we've discussed this on financial stability, on um, how, how independent you are, how independent you were. I was very independent my whole life. So I don't, I can't, I can't be an authority on that question. So the, the next question is like, how important is it to be a couple in today's world? As important as you want it to be. So if you enjoy being a couple, it's important. If you are a person who likes singularity, who is steeped in friendships and isn't looking for you know, a lover-love type relationship, then it's not important. Uh, I, I have had an experience prior to being in relationships of friends that were fantastic in including me. And I speak about my friends, Barry and Barry, who say, you know, you're you. We don't need you and someone else. We love you for you. <laughs> and I always loved that about my relationship with them. There are people that prefer you as a couple. So it's it's a couple's world if you want to be a couple. I enjoy being in a relationship. I enjoy the companionship while I enjoy my independence. I'm that woman that wants her cake and eat it too. And that's probably not easy for men. But it is who I am. Um, I think that it's a couple's world if you want to be a couple and function with couples. And it's not if you want to be in a singular world. Right. I think you have a choice today, which is, New. Do you think of yourself I, I as a woman pioneer in the in the modern world? Oh, please say yes. <laughs> please <laughs> tell me I am. I want mm-hmm. to be. Um, I I don't know that. Um, I think I'm that important. In my own little world, I am. In my own little world, I am a pioneer in the modern world. I hope one day to be that in the big world. But I'm not there yet. I'm not. I, I, my ego's not that big yet, <laughs> or isn't, or won't well, be. Well, certainly um, your new book is certainly the journey to being that pioneer woman. So I would definitely say you're closer to it than most. Well, that's very kind. I hope but so. But it's true. Yeah. And um, let's see if let's get everybody to read it, and then we'll talk about it. R- exactly. So, so concluding this podcast, your last question is, what are your dreams for happiness in the future? In the introduction, you said I live in the here and now, and I do. I had a vision of happily ever after, and it didn't happen. My dreams for happiness in the future really stem around being healthy and my world being healthy and safe. Because I know I can get through anything if my world is happy and safe mm-hmm. and healthy. And that is really, and and as I said to you, that's probably my irrational fear is keeping my world happy, healthy, and safe. And I know now that happiness comes almost solely from that. Not from acquisition, not from owning things, not from uh, anything other than everybody being okay. So that is my focus and my dreams for happiness in the future is to live long into the future 
and experience all the joys that come from my world being happy, healthy, and safe. Well, this podcast has really been a, I think, a very profound and very uplifting for everyone that wants to lead a very rewarding and fruitful life. So we thank you very, very much. And, thank you, uh, Lois. And uh, this was podcast number 25. 25? 25, so yeah. yeah. Wow. So I can't wait. <laughs> wow. To get to, I can't wait to get to 26 because we have some very interesting topics to talk about that people love. So anyway, we'll see you next Thanks, time. Lois. Thank you. Bye.